Hello, and welcome to the Hudson Mohawk Magazine, broadcasting from the Sanctuary for Independent Media in Troy, New York, on the unceded homelands of the Mohican people, who are known today as the Stockbridge Munsee community. I'm Sina Bazilahickey. And I'm Jacob Boston. Today on the Hudson Mohawk Magazine, we begin with the Community Equity Agenda, which promotes economic democracy and racial justice by Mark Dunley. Then, it's been a year since Miss Q was released from ICE custody from the Rensselaer County Jail. And we replay Elizabeth Press, Elizabeth Press's interview with Miss Q's lawyer. After that, Andrea Cunliffe brings us with her brings brings us with her to the Troy Farmers Market, which to the Troy Farmers Market, which this month holds holds Sunday fairs for local vendors selling holiday goods. Finally, we look back at the recent holiday event at Elkwood Community Center. But first, here are the headlines. The state comptroller says that while the statewide poverty rate has dropped to 13.9% over the last decade, New York lags behind the rest of the country in reducing poverty, and that poverty remains persistently high among groups in the state. Black and Native Americans have had poverty rate at about 20%, compared to 10% for their white counterparts last year. After nearly seven years as the City of Schenectady's Commissioner of General Services, Paul Lafon stands to lose his job if he doesn't take and pass a civil service test. The state recently rejected a Schenectady County civil service decision to make the position exempt from a test. The governor has signed a law to make fees paid to the state by solar companies that convert agricultural land into solar farms to go towards preserving other farmland. Feed Albany, a nonprofit, started at the beginning of the coronavirus pandemic as a way to provide free food for out-of-work restaurant staffers but which quickly grew far beyond its original scope. We will close at the end of the year after distributing more than one million meals in the capital region over nearly three years. That's it for the headlines. For those of you just tuning in, you're listening to the Hudson Mohawk Magazine, listener-supported radio that builds community in Troy and the surrounding capital region through broad grassroots participation. Our content is produced by volunteers. To learn how you can contribute, Go to mediasanctuary.org, email us at hmm at mediasanctuary.org, or call 518-272-2390. 46 groups are calling on state lawmakers to enact a community equity agenda that embraces economic democracy and racial justice, with a focus on public banks, housing, and redlining. Sarah Ludwig of the new Economy Project and Alicia Bacon of Mother's House Front talks with Mark Dunley. So we're joined by Sarah Ludwig of the uh, New Economy Project and uh, Alicia uh, Bacon of um, Mother's Out Front. And I don't know if it's a new group, but the uh, Community uh, Equity Agenda recently you know, announced this agenda for, for next year. Uh, a lot of things about uh, wealth creation for low-income communities, public banking, particularly a big focus on uh, economic democracy and racial justice, housing, red line. So uh, w- welcome. And, you know, what are, what are some of the key things you want to highlight for people for next year? 
Um, I can start. This is Sarah from New Economy Project. Thanks for having us on the show, Mark. So the New York State Community Equity Agenda came together actually five years ago in 2017. And it's a statewide coalition of groups from all corners of New York that are engaged in organizing in their communities in creating affirmative housing, workplace, financial institution, and other vehicles that really make sure that people have control over their lives and, and so forth. And really the whole mission of the equity agenda is to bring groups together that are doing work in their communities to change the way New York even thinks about policies around economic development so that they are bottom up, so that they are fundamentally about racial justice and cooperation and economic democracy. And so we're really, really excited about our platform and um, we're gonna talk to you about specific aspects of it. And I don't know, um, the uh, Elisha, if you wanna start out by talking about the New York State Banking Public Banking Act, because that is really kind of a, a big thing that's gonna be on the coalition's agenda for the coming year, something we're gonna get done in New York State. Yeah, I just wanted to add first that we are um, 45 plus organizations that have joined together to be a part of this coalition and we represent up and down state. Um, our organizations are broad. So we have, you know, nonprofits and some small banks. So there is a lot of support for this. And the New York Public Banking Act is um, something that I'm really passionate about. So my team, Capital Region Mothers Out Front, has joined this coalition. And this would put our public money, um, it would create a framework for public bank to be created either regionally or um, with a specific locality. And that would allow us to um, begin the process of creating a public bank where we could use our taxpayer dollars and have full transparency over where that money would be spent. Um, but then also other institutions like credit unions and CDFIs would be able to have more revenue to loan more people money. And so I mean, when it comes to black and brown people that have been historically um, left out of being able to be homeowners and then also being able to be homeowners wherever they want to, um, this would help us break down that wall where more people would be able to access funding to either buy a home or start a business. I know, yeah, I mean, go ahead. Sorry. Mark. I was going to say public bank has been, you know, pushed for a number of years. I know North Dakota has had it for, 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 for decades. Um, you know, how is the legislature or the governor respond to the issue of public banking? And with uh, Brad Lander being a new uh, city controller in New York City, is there uh, more moving down in the city towards a public bank system? Yeah, I mean, the city of New York's been ready to do public banking for a while in the sense that the city council has been very gung-ho. We had a lot of turnover in the city council because of term limits and Brad Lander, who was a city council member, as you pointed out, is now the city controller, and he has come out publicly in support of public banking, as has the progressive caucus in the city council, which now constitutes a majority of our city council. It's on the top list of their priorities as well. And so, you know, as Elisha was saying, uh, uh, the Public Banking Act that is before the state legislature would create a framework, a special charter, so that towns and cities and municipalities across the state that wanted to take our public money out of the very banks that are actively redlining communities, facilitating extraction of wealth from communities that are, you know, the main financers of fossil fuel extraction and are harming people in all sorts of ways that our public money comes out 
of these institutions, which New York state law right now requires public money at all levels of government to be put into commercial banks, that we have a very different way that we should be doing, thinking about, you know, our whole way that we uh, invest in communities. And so you take the money out of Wall Street banks, you put it into these public banks that are chartered to serve the public good and that are exist to serve communities most in need, particularly historically redlined neighborhoods um, around our state. So there are more, I think it's about 96 local elected officials from all over the state that have signed a letter calling on the state legislature to pass the New York Public Banking Act. There is tremendous support within both chambers of the state legislature and growing. Um, it's going to be reintroduced in January just because of the cycle of bills. So there's going to have to sort of get new sign-ons, but we are very close to having a critical mass in both houses to get it over the finish line. So we're very, very excited about that. And it really is a movement from all over the state. Now, the community equity agenda, you know, talks about the need to, you know, refocus how we do housing. Obviously, there's been pushes for decades for more funding for for, for low-income housing. So what 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 was a particular spin or different direction that you all would like to see the states and, and local governments housing efforts move in? Well, I think it really connects to the fact that we are having a um, bit of an artificial housing crisis where the price of home ownership has um, skyrocketed. And this is where I'm part of one of the first generations that was not predicted to own a home. Um, and within my family, I have experienced foreclosure, and that was supposed to be the house that I would have inherited. Um, my grandfather got caught up in the 2008 stock market crash, and um, someone talked him into an upside-down loan. And we're seeing this happen a lot to Black and Brown people, low-income people. And so it's it's more than just being able to buy a home, but it's actually being able to get a good deal on it. And this movement is also considering how we can um, cr crack down on fintech, um, that the New York State Department of Financial Services and the Attorney General can stand firm against this financial technology um, that's is, uh, evading regulations and is still targeting people with um, being able to pay more for loans when they have less money. And we want to increase the value that black and brown bodies are able to retain within our community so that we can um, get access to education, get access to security through starting our own businesses, owning our own homes, and be able to retain that versus spending uh, on everything. And renters make up, you know, about 50% of the state. And so we are talking about being able to take some of the people who are renting um, and turning them into homeowners so that we can, you know, bring down the renting costs and, and increase that wealth that can be kept in communities instead of going to Wall Street. No, yeah, no and Mark, I... I know our time is limited, but I think a lot of listeners are going to be also interested in the equity agenda's push for a Tenant Opportunity to Purchase Act, or TOPA. It's a hot item among housing justice advocates around the state, and it's a real platform plank of this coalition, which is that New York State would pass a law that gives tenants the first right to purchase their building when the landlord sells it, when they go up for sale, and then to operate their buildings collectively 
um, as a co-op in their shared interest. So that's something really important. And also good cause eviction, getting the state to pass a law that makes sure that we have good cause eviction so that we have the housing stability and economic security for tenants across the state that we just so desperately need. So we have less than a minute. So I'll ask a two-part question. You mentioned this has been going on for five years. What needs to happen to convince the New York State legislator and the governor to actually enact this? And then second, if people want more information, get involved, how can they do that? Well, we definitely so, need ahead, your Alex. support. So if you can you know, join our coalition, um, we'd be happy to have you. We meet weekly and there's lots of ways that you can plug into this fight. Um, I'll pivot to Sarah. Yeah, to tell you to check out more, please, at equityagendany.org. You'll find a lot of really good resources, the membership, the full membership of all the groups that are involved, and uh, more about the platform. So really, like Elisha said, get involved, uh, support the work, and uh, we look forward to moving this forward with, with you in New York. Uh, we've been talking with uh, Elisha Bacon, Mothers Out Front, uh, Sarah Ludwig of the uh, New Economy Project, and this has been Mark Dunley for the Hudson Mohawk Magazine. Alicia Bacon is one of the people who are involved in the Holiday Interfaith Justice and Peace Circle at Freedom Square. On Saturday, December 10th, she will work with guests who write letters to local elected officials about important climate issues. If you're listening on Friday, we hope to see you tomorrow at Freedom Square from 3.30 to 5 p.m. And looking back, it's been over a year since Miss Q was released from ICE custody at the Rensselaer County Jail. Today, we replay an interview that Hudson Mohawk Magazine producer Elizabeth Press did with Miss Q's lawyer, Sophia Genovese. On Friday, December 3rd, 2021, after spending two and a half years in ICE custody, a woman who goes by Miss Q was released from Rensselaer County Jail. Today, we are joined by her lawyer, Sophia Genovese. Sophia is a supervising attorney at the Catholic Charities Community Services, which is one of the organizations and advocacy groups who have been supporting Ms. Q and calling for her release. Sophia Genovese, welcome to the Hudson Mohawk Magazine and congratulations. Thank you so much. So happy to be here. And Ms. Q is finally home and with her family. Can you just tell us a little bit about who Miss Q is and how it came that you are representing her. Miss Q is a young woman. She's in her mid twenties. She is from Ecuador and she has been living in the United States since she was about 11 years old. She and her sister came in on visas and they overstayed their visas so that they can continue living with their family. Back in Ecuador, unfortunately, Ms. Q was the victim of horrific childhood sexual violence and she needed to escape. So that's why ultimately she came to the United States. She was educated here. She completed her schooling here. She's trained as a graphic designer and was living an ordinary life, just lacked a piece of paper that said she was a citizen of this country. And so one night, she was arrested, she served a prison sentence, and then ultimately transferred to ICE custody. She was ordered deported because she simply was not eligible for any kind of relief to stay in the United States. 
And then she went back to prison and then was transferred back to ICE custody at the end of her prison sentence. And that's when she and I met, was right before she was being transferred back to ICE custody. So we can try and figure out any last legal remedies we could figure out so she could be able to stay in the country. And as we all know by now, when she was ultimately transferred by ICE to the Renanslayer County Jail, she was physically brutalized, resulting in what we now know a fractured ankle, among other injuries. And then once after Renanslayer County Jail itself, she continued to be denied access to medical care, lived in egregious conditions and suffered a lot of retaliation once she filed a civil rights complaint talking about all these horrible things that happened to her. And so you mentioned that at Rensselaer County Jail or on her way to Rensselaer County Jail fractured her ankle and has some other injuries. What did you learn about uh, the conditions at Rensselaer County Jail in working with Ms. Q and filing her complaint? We learned a lot. And to give a little bit of context, Renenslaer County Jail only holds a few immigrant detainees at a time. And most of these people have removal orders or prior deportation orders. So they're only at Renenslaer County Jail typically for a short amount of time, meaning a lot of information about how immigrant detainees is not really known or well, well understood. So when Ms. Q was transferred to the jail, and because of her injuries, her deportation was delayed. We have the opportunity to learn a lot about what's going on in the inside. And as Ms. Q has reported, from you know, the second she arrived at Renanslayer County Jail, the conditions were horrible. Her initial cell that she was taken to was covered in dirt, covered in trash, reeked of urine. She didn't have a mattress. So they gave her a used mattress, which had not been sanitized before being given to her, given stained towels. The, the room was so filthy that she was, um, she requested a new room and she was taken to a new room that was even worse with a sink that didn't work, a clogged toilet, filthy. And on top of all of this, she was denied access to showers for two weeks. In fact, she was told to clean herself in her sink. Keep in mind that she's not even able to walk at this time. And so she really was struggling to just survive and walk around. And now she has these additional limitations of being in the clothes that she was assaulted in, uh, being filthy, feeling gross, and in so much pain. In addition to this, we have issues with access to activities for ICTs in the facility. They're not allowed to go outside, there's no programming. Their, their gym, their so-called gym that they have is just what is a basketball court and a deflated volleyball, I believe is what I was told. There's no equipment there. So these women are, are you know, in, inside four walls with no programming, nothing to do. Thanks for sharing that, Sophia. And so on Friday, we learned that Miss Q was to be released. Now, so about a month ago, people gathered outside the Rensselaer County Jail in support of Miss Q and calling for her release. There was a lot of organizing that happened from covering that protest. I didn't expect her to be released now. Can you t talk about Miss Q's release and how that came about? Yeah, I think there's a lot of 
limitations to our laws, to our immigration laws in particular. And for people in Ms. Q's situation where they have deportation orders, all we can do is ask for ICE to exercise their discretion in one, releasing them and two, stopping their deportation. And that doesn't come around easily. You need pretty significant factors weighing in your favor to get them to exercise discretion. So in Ms. Q's case, we submitted a civil rights complaint talking about all these terrible things that have happened to her at the hands of ICE and then went to their county jail. We got some press coverage around the complaint. And then from there, we built this amazing coalition of many organizations and advocacy groups all across the state, but of course, centrally located in Troy and Renenslier and the capital region more broadly. And through their advocacy, they were able to put more coverage, more press uh, and eyes on Ms. Q's situation. And all of that public scrutiny was pushing ICE more and more to exercise their discretion. And it pushed ICE to actually open an investigation and interview Ms. Q about the abuses she had suffered. And this scrutiny is really what pushed ultimately for Ms. Q's release. Had this public scrutiny been absent, had it just been my independent legal advocacy, she would be in Ecuador by now. And now what happens with Ms. Q? She's out. Is she safe? Is she... Uh, immune from deportation. What happens next? She is absolutely not immune from deportation. In fact, ICE is still actively trying to deport her. What the uh, Buffalo field office, or more specifically their Albany field office has done, is release her. They say, we don't want to deal with this anymore. And they have transferred her case to the New York City field office. And she was released on what's known as an order of supervision. Pursuant to that order, she has to get a passport and she has to actively participate in her own deportation, making her pay for her deportation. But also let's not forget that she has a fractured ankle. Ice fractured her ankle. And to me, it seems like Ice may have been skirting in its responsibilities for her medical care by releasing her. So they're simultaneously skirting their medical responsibilities to her and making her foot the bill to heal her own foot and also simultaneously uh, you know, deferring responsibility to another field office and still actively trying to deport her. So this is an ongoing fight. And how can those that have supported her in the past or those listening to this interview now continue to support Ms. Q in all of this? Ms. Q has a pending pardon application with the governor. So we would ask everyone who has been supporting Ms. Q to write letters to the governor, urging her to grant Ms. Q clemency. And the granting of clemency is going to open up a lot more doors for Ms. Q to seek immigration relief. And we want to keep the pressure up on ICE to not deport her. Now that she's been released, ICE might think that, hey, the public isn't going to scrutinize us anymore. We don't have to deal with this. We can just quietly deport her and no one's going to notice. But we can't let that happen. We need to let ICE know that we're still watching and we're going to demand everything for Ms. Q. We're going to demand that she be allowed to stay here. Sophia Genovese, thank you so much for joining us today on the Hudson Mohawk Magazine. Thanks so much for having me.
This interview was from a year ago after the release of Mrs. Q from Ice or Miss Q from Ice Custody. The Rensselaer County is the only county in New York where the sheriff has handed over control of some of his officers to U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement by par- by participating in the 28G program, two, 287G program, rather. My, I'm sorry. Go ahead. And for those of you just tuning in, I'm Sina Bazilahicki. And I'm Jacob Boston. You're listening to the Hudson Mohawk Magazine on the Hudson Mohawk Magazine Radio on WOOCLP 105.3 FM Choi, WOOGLP 92.7 FM Choi, WOOSLP 98.9 FM Schenectady, and WOOALP 106.9 FM Albany, and streaming online at mediasanctuary.org. This program comes from the Sanctuary for Independent Media in Choi, New York. If you like what you hear, you can support this program by telling a friend. Sharing is caring. Find today's stories and more at mediasanctuary.org. The next piece is by Andrea Cunliffe, who unfortunately couldn't be here today. Well wishes. Shout out, Andrea. It's my my partner at crime right there. (laughs) Um, It's about the Choi Farmer's Market. They're offering specialty food from local farmers and producers this holiday season. Andrea brings you to the market and samples some of the seasonal special offerings this holiday season. Holiday season is upon us, so I made my way over to the Troy Farmer's Market to see what was on offer for the holidays. Beautiful cheeses here. Yeah, Cricket Creek Farm in Williamstown, Mass. Uh, It's right across the border at the Five Corners in the Berkshires. Your cheeses are really interesting. You get Maggie's Round, which I've had. I've never had Tabasi. I've had Hillsale, and I think I've had Berkshire Bloom as well. These are lovely. What makes these so special? We use non-homogenized milk in all of our uh, cheeses, and our softer cheeses are aged and pasteurized just a little bit, and then our hard cheeses are um, raw. And how crazy is it to wrap up a round of cheese and hand it to someone for Christmas? Is that a crazy idea? Yeah, I don't know if it's too crazy. I think it's pretty special. You get to have something wrapped in paper versus plastic. It makes a crickling noise, and it just adds a little extra sensation to it. And it's yummy. Yeah, it's super yummy. Well, if you're going some, somewhere for dinner or for a cocktail party or just a drinks party at Christmas, it's nice to bring a little gift, and this would be superb. Yeah, oh yeah, the Berkshire Bloom is a great one to bring to a, a cocktail party. goes great with some wine and some apples. Really yummy. Cricket Creek Farm, and you're here every Saturday. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. What have we got here? Oh my goodness. Yeah, so we've got uh, Fury's olive oil. So what's really neat about our olive oil is all of our olive oil is hand-picked. We cold press it once and we can it all on the same day. Comes right from the Peloponnese of Greece. My boss has family and they've been making olive oil for decades now. It's beautifully packaged. Oh, thank you so much. Would make a great Christmas gift. Yeah, right for now. sure. Oh, can I have a taste? <laughs> oh, of course. No, no. Mm. Oh my gosh. Oh, it's so, so good. The texture is amazing. <laughs> What is this? These are olives. They're oh, like, they're the olives. Yeah, they're like Kamala olives, but these are Kalaman olives. What is the difference? 
The difference is these are less bitter. Oh, and then you have different size containers? Yep. So you could, oh, wouldn't it be fun to have this in your stocking? Yeah, for sure. Lovely, lovely. And what is this? This is Greek Mountain Tea, also known as Iron War. So basically it's good for digestion, inflammation, helps with arthritis. You just throw a, a few flour and stem into a pot, boil it for about 15 minutes, and then you're good to go. Oh, lovely. <laughs> these are little jars. Are yeah. these? Oh, this is? Oregano. No, you have some... So these are olive wood boards, and they're made out of sustainably sourced trees that are no longer fruiting on our land. Thanks so much. Yeah, we'll see you. So You're much. here every weekend. I am here every weekend. I see a big sign It says, yum. <laughs> Where am I? I'm at what booth? Saratoga Spicery. Tell me about how you get involved with this. I actually was in the museum world before this. I took a very sharp turn into the spice world, uh, but just fell in love with the freshness of fresh ground spices. You do a nice blend. Well, we started out doing your typical, what I call pantry blends, and then my partner, Enrique, said, well, what's everybody else in the world eating? And so we dove into researching common blends from around the world, and one of our bestsellers is called Zug. It's got all the fun, cumin, cardamom, caraway, coriander, mirage pepper. It's delicious. How do you use these spices? Like, if you're not used to that, yes. what would be a good introduction? Start with chicken if you eat chicken or start with your roasted vegetables. Almost any of these you could toss on either one of those to get a sense of it. Put it on before you cook and then at the end you can add a little more for a little bunch of flavor. Here's Tuscan, so that's yeah. Italian. Yeah. Midnight and, red sounds ooh, exciting. It is. It's southwest fajita kind of flavor. It has chipotle mecco in it. And then if people like a little more heat, we have something called kicking Cajun that bumps it up with some cayenne in there. So You've got some customers. I don't uh, want to... Oh, you know what? It looks like they're enjoying a sample, and I'll pop over there if they need anything real quick. Yep, our top three sellers are the roasted garlic, which has sun-dried tomato and roasted bell pepper in it. goes on potatoes and dips. We also have a range of salt-free blends, which is really nice because why lose flavor just because you can't use salt? Super. Yeah. So if you were to, I mean, first of all, I think it would make a lovely gift. Oh, thank you. Where do you get the herbs? Yep. Put them in whole, and then I grind them myself for the, so you get that pop of freshness. Like my onion, parsley, garlic comes from California. My teletray black pepper from Brazil. So it really comes from all over the place, depending on who has the... Especially for making things like the Zug, it has something called mirage pepper in there that comes from Turkey. So I get it from a supplier who gets it from his cousin in Turkey. So, Fantastic. Okay, and the name of this booth is? Saratoga Spicery. So I wondered if you'd have a few minutes or you could tell me about what you do here. It's called Black Love's Cookies? Yes. What makes your cookies extra special? So what makes them extra special is... I use my own recipe for each cookie. Do you? I, I like YouTube, what makes the cookie great. I took a little bit of this, a little bit of that, added some things I like, and boom, we got Black Love Cookies. All the cookies got a fun name, so like I call the cookie the Slim Shady because it has peanut butter morsels and mini M&Ms. M&M, the rapper, name is Slim Shady, so it's kind of play on that, so yeah. <laughs> Okay, so Bernie Mac. So Bernie Mac, it's an Oreo cheesecake cookie. So it's like kind of like a milk and like cookie type situation. One of his more famous jokes is like a milk and cookies joke. So I took that milk and cookies joke and called it the Bernie Mac because it's like an Oreo cream cookie. 
It was supposed to be shake your bon bon, like Cinnabon, but autocorrect changed it to bun, and I noticed it late, so I just stuck with it. But it's a cinnamon roll cookie, so it's like a cinnamon bun cookie wrapped in it, so that's why you got the shake your bun bun. Bad Nana Jamma is a banana pudding cookie. I took the Nana from banana and just kind of, you know, gave it something fun. So you got Bad Nana Jamma. Beyonce? So Beyonce is one of my favorite female artists, or favorite artists in general. Her last album before Renaissance was called Lemonade. So I did a lemon cream cookie. And <laughs> this is great. How do you think Leprechaun? Because we used like uh, the Lucky Charm marshmallows and we got the Leprechaun on the box. So we put uh, Leprechaun, like uh, Lucky Charm marshmallows into a cookie with white chocolate chips. And that's where we get the Leprechaun from. We actually made it pink instead of green because people would think it was cannabis infused because it was green. Oh. So we changed the color so people wouldn't have that, that green association to the cookie. Okay, cool, cool. <laughs> well, there's Grand Street and the Lucky Three, Empire State, Empire State of Mind. They're all wonderful. Thank you. Are you, you a thank chef you. originally? Absolutely not. I was working. I was I was a store manager doing retail. I got injured, had to get surgery. I was sidelined with crushes for eight weeks. A friend gifted me a mixer for Christmas. So I was making brownies. I'm good at making brownies. So I just wanted to experiment a little bit more. We just give people a chance to try some different ones. And You're wonderful. Where do you bake them? At home or you have a shop? At home. Well, cookies are great, especially during the holidays. Absolutely. So what would you suggest if somebody wanted to get a selection of your cookies? So if we want to stay in the holiday theme, I would say... It's tough because I do make like the pie cookies. Like I make a sweet potato pie cookie. I make a pumpkin pie cookie. I make the butter, the banana pudding. But I also make like a mint fudge cookie because you know mint. I associate that with the holiday time. I have a snickerdoodle cookie. You know that's a classic. And I would say I would do my situation cookie. It's a triple chocolate M and M cookie. But we get like the red and green M&M's close to Christmas to kind of get a Christmas colors with it. So it's amazing. What fun! Are you here every Saturday? I'm here every Saturday. And I'll also be here on Sundays throughout the holiday uh, weekends. Yeah, the Christmas Until market. Christmas, yes. Yeah, so I'll be here for the Christmas market's house. I like well. this one. It looks like a, like a little shirt. Yes, yeah, so my wife sweater. does decorated cookies and some cozy sweaters that oh, kick off the cozy season. Black love cookies. Yes. Okay, cool. Happy holidays to you. This makes you hungry, doesn't it? <laughs> Rum cakes. Hi. Hi. And your name is? Danielle from Goodway Gourmet Bakery. Fantastic. And you are in Troy, New York. We are located in Troy, New York. Oh, great. How did you start making these cakes? The rum cakes are about 13 years old. The bakery's been in business for about 40 years, but the rum cakes are product of our head baker, who's from the Bahamas and they've become extremely popular all over. There's various kinds here. There's, um, there's what, what is this? Coconut butter. Malibu. What's Malibu? Malibu is our crushed pineapple cinnamon coconut. That's actually my personal favorite. It's delicious. Chocolate. Chocolate's easy. Chocolate, I get. Yep. Banana rum, I we get. We have ripe banana. We have a Caribbean flavor, and we have black raspberry. And we also make our rum cake uh, and gluten-free. No kidding. Oh, cool. Caribbean rum. 
Oh my gosh. Oh, this is wonderful. So you're here every... Every Saturday, um, we are at the farmer's market. Um, we're at various locations around the Capital District, and you're welcome to stop in where we bake at to pick up the rum cake. Where is it? Um, we bake out of Redemption Christian Academy. You can just walk in and ask for a rum cake. Good way, rum cakes made in Troy, New York. Yes, ma'am. Thanks so much. Thank you. Wishing you all a wonderful holiday season. This has been Andrea Cunliffe for the Hudson Mohawk Magazine. Oh, Andrea does such wonderful coverage of the markets. We had one, I believe, last week, and hopefully we'll have some more to come. It really brings that experience alive. I love it. Sticking with the holiday theme, Oakwood Community Center and TRIP are collaborating to bring the arts to the community. On December 3rd, 2022, the center was alive with activity and holiday excitement. Hudson Mohawk Magazine went to report. In this segment, you'll hear Sina Bazila Hickey speak with Beverly Hickman of Trip, Rachel Lorimer of Trip, Justin Ralph of Oak, and Justin Ralph of Oakwood Community Center. Hi, my name is Beverly Hickman. I work with Trip, and right now we are at the Oakwood Community Holiday Event. The whole idea is to get input from the community. So Rachel created this house that looks like a community, and each house represents an issue. Like it can be under um, like events, it can be under health, it can be under um, what is your vision, what is your talent. And what we're trying to do is get people involved that want and bring their gifts and their talent and their purpose. Everyone has purpose in life and not looking at your job title, whether or not they work or not, whether or not they're male or female, child or adult, but come together as a whole community. And the community, what we're looking for is a melting pot community. We're not looking for one particular person, but everyone in voices. So hopefully, eventually, we would like to develop um, a more residential community, um, Hillside North community, residential monthly meetings, but right now we're in the beginning stage of it, and this is the beginning process to hear what the people want, not what we think what we should, should happen. Even though I live in a community, I love my community, but I do know there's a lot of hidden gems in that community. There's a lot of good people. They just, right now, life has gave them a rough time, but I believe with all my heart, if you give them an opportunity to express themselves, it will heal that past trauma. It will heal the current health issues. It's gonna heal their family and their future. So that's my, that's my plea. Since I have you here, mm-hmm. how are you involved in the community? You work with Trip, but specifically we met earlier this year in the garden. Can you talk about how you involve yourself in the community? Well, how I involve myself, thank you, that's a really good question. Um, how I involve myself in the community is twofold. One, I live there and I'm experiencing what they're experiencing. So my involvement is to try to be a voice, try to be an advocate and encouragement for them to use their voice. So there's different involvements. We had a Medicare, last month we had a Medicare health insurance, and, and through that we did door reefs. So people were able to relax and talk about, and some really good, interesting conversation came up about the history on Hillside North. We also had, um, we supported the voting, 
We encouraged the community to go out and vote. We did an event for that. We also did um, our upcoming stuff would be we're trying to get National Grid to come to the community and help people with budgeting, you know, with budgeting and um, the benefits that National Grid is offering. Oh, girl, it's so much. Um, we did, of course, the movie with the trauma resilience, and we're trying to figure out how we can continue picking back and off of that in 2023. Yes. Thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs> I'm Rachel Lorimer, and I'm an artist. And we're standing in front of this piece that you created. There's an orange, a blue, a purple, a yellow house. Can you keep describing it? Sure. So these houses are imaginary, but they are based off of the architecture and the scale and the vibrant community of Hillside North. And these are here so that um, instead of just giving someone a survey and asking them their opinion, we cut up all of our survey questions and we invited people to answer them one at a time and slide each question into a window in the houses or a door um, as a way to engage a little more thoughtfully in the process of responding to questions. Um, okay. the, yeah. What are some of these window, can you read some of the, sure. the names in the windows? Yeah. So the questions we, we wanted to um, sort of seek answers to, we found that they clustered into a few categories. So the orange house, we have community, come together, and creativity. Uh, the blue house, we have pride, vision, and talent. In the purple house, we forgot to put words there, but it's it's a heart house. And then um, in the yellow house, we have gratitude, favorites, and home. The surveys were slid through, so you didn't necessarily see them, but what are some of the feedback that you got from the community? Um, one thing we hear over and over again is the, the neighborhood would love more opportunities for kids to have activities after school and on the weekends that would engage them in the arts, in sports, in safe activities that they can do with their friends and their peers in the neighborhood, but also that will enrich and let them grow and develop their interests outside of school. Are there other aspects to this participatory survey activity that is important to talk about? Hmm. Um, I did hear from folks today that filling out the questions this way really made them think. And I, I thought that that was really great to hear because um, sometimes when we have opportunities for community engagement, the, there's not enough time to really sit. And um, maybe you're only there for an hour or a half hour. It's more of a drop-in. Um, but because of the length of this event, it gave people an opportunity to really sit. We have some couch and chairs here. We wanted to invite them into a space that felt welcoming, that felt like home, that felt like part of the community, which it is. Oakwood absolutely is. Yeah. Thank you so much. And as we head into the new year, do you have any hopes for what's to come? Absolutely. So um, my work with Oakwood is actually a partnership between Oakwood and TRIP. Um, both organizations have partnered with myself as a visual artist and my uh, collaborator Justin Ralph who's a performing artist. So we are working together for two years to bring additional arts and performing arts creative initiatives to the neighborhood and so this piece was really about listening to the interests of the neighborhood and what folks really want to see. Thank you.
Uh, my name is Justin Ralph, and I am the director of the Oakwood Community Center's Oakwood Techniques Program. It's a performing arts program for elementary school students. So we spoke just a couple days before this event at Oakwood Community Center. Can you describe how the day has been? Oh, it's been wonderful. We've had um, the community coming out. We've had performances um, from people that are from the Hillside North neighborhood. We've had artwork from the School 2 students, and we're just excited to offer this space um, for them to display their artwork this year. Um, so in about two weeks, they're going to have an open art gallery for the community to come. So it's just been a full um, day full of excitement and, and busyness, and that's what we love here in the Oakwood Community Center. So. Lots of excitement, lots of great questions over there for community yes. reflection, lots of community input. Does this event foreshadow things in the community for next year? Oh, absolutely. Um, we are, there's this creative energy that is um, going on and that's happening. So we seek to build upon that. So we've got some more events um, coming out. So people will hear about that as we um, put boots to the ground and start planning. Uh, but most importantly, connecting with the people in the community, just finding out what type of um, energy is here surrounding the arts, um, performing arts or visual arts. And so we're just excited. Uh, my biggest hope is that we would be able to, whatever projects, things that we do, that it's community-led. Um, and so I really want to, we really want to raise and uplift uh, the creativity that's already here and spark passion back into uh, the hearts and the minds of those that are here in this neighborhood. Um, so we've been having conversations with people and we've been running into people that say, oh, you know, I used to sing or I used to play an instrument or I used to write a book. And so we are looking forward to sparking that energy again and having people kick off with that momentum. Thank you so much, Justin. What else would you like to leave our listeners with? Um, I would just like to wish everyone a merry holiday, um, whatever holiday you celebrate around this winter season. And um, join us. If you see our flyers posted up or whatever, you join us in a celebration of the arts. So. Thank you so much. Thank you. This was a very fun event. I was there too with Cena. I enjoyed my time. There was music upstairs. They had an African drum. People were singing Christmas songs. There's a there was a mystery guest that I did an interview with that you have to tune in next time soon to find out who it was. It was a very good interview. Um, and yeah, there was just there was kids there. I got interviews with them. It was a very good time. Um, it's just nice being it was nice being up in North Troy, just seeing what the seeing those people and getting insight into how they can improve their community and things that they want to do to improve their community. Um Cena has more. I was gonna ask you, Jacob, what was the experience like going out and just cold asking everybody questions? I wasn't necessarily cold, we were inside, but No, I mean like <laughs> You weren't prepared, right? You didn't have well, notes. You cold, were just metaphorically like responding. Like, yeah. <laughs> um, I just like talking to people, so it wasn't really, it wasn't really a hard thing to do. 
Um, okay, we're we're suspensed for our mystery guest, but uh-huh. is there any other tidbits you can share with us and then send us into the next piece? It was just a. I'll I'll just wrap it up to say it was a very nice time being there. I don't know if anyone here is list anyone from the event was listening, but I enjoyed your company, and we have Cena with more interviews from the event. Steven Figueroa. Okay, we're at this beautiful community event at Oakwood Community Center. You do many things for the community. How do you get involved? You know, it's just about, um, you know, seeing what's out there, you know, and also creating events because uh, I also create events too for the community. And I think it's very important that the community have events like this. And I think just putting, you know, I get involved by putting myself out there and offering help where help is needed. You know, these these events like this is what brings the community together, bringing resources and, you know, helping our young ones as well. And could you give us a list of the many jobs that you do? So I'm a workforce director at the Boys and Girls Club, also director of Team Hero, which is a, a nonprofit organization that focuses on youth, um, also on the Troy City Council. So I'm all around, you know, I was less fortunate when I came up as a young kid with resources and opportunities. So this is my way of giving back and connecting young people and also people in general in the community to resources and opportunities. When you think about our community, whether it being North Troy or, or Hillside or just Troy in general, what are some things that you can point to that you're very proud of? Uh, unity, how, you know, and, you know, and in sight of, you know, things and, and difficulties that we face in our community, I think unity is one of the, the biggest and, and beautiful thing that we can see, that no matter what, we come together as a community and help each other out. And, and that's how we make our community stronger, being together, uniting, and, um, you know, staying together as a whole. What is lacking in our community, and what would you like to see implemented? Uh, I definitely would like to see a, a, a larger community center within the North Central um, area. I think Oakwood Community Center is doing a great job uh, with all the resources, the food pantries that they're doing. And, you know, just following that same model, you know, not recreating or anything. They're doing a great job and just bringing it uh, more in the center and making it a lot bigger and bringing more resources to our young people. Because uh, as we know, there's, there's a big play in, in gun violence and violence in our community. So we want to get the community together to make sure that um, we're being able to provide that second opportunity to those young people that, that don't have those resources or opportunities to do better in life. Now you said you're proud of the unity and we're lacking community. Where's the middle? What what um, What's the bridge there to make this neighborhood the place, this community the place you want to see? More people. We need more people. We need more mentors. Uh, we need more mentors. We need more people that wants to step up. And, you know, we talk about, you know, we want... Uh, more resources, we want opportunities for the kids, but we need more parents and we need more people that want to step up and be that difference. Uh, a lot of these kids are lacking mentors and we would like to see more adults to come to the table with solutions, with resources, and let's put that together and work. And I think if we have more people involved, we could reach a larger population. And as a council person, how do you think the government needs to take action? Uh, we need to start uh, 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 dropping more funds in these programs. So 
one of the one of the struggles is you know Oakwood is doing a good job, Troy Look is doing a good job, Team Hero is doing a good job, but they don't have enough uh, they don't have enough funding um, to be uh, sustainable all year round. So they constantly got to look for grants, look for, and sometimes it becomes a struggle. So supporting these grassroots organization allow them not only to be sustainable but to expand and reach a larger population of young people. Okay, so we're heading to the end of the year. What's coming up next year? Any hopes for for 2023? Yeah, we're hoping for this community center, definitely. Um, I'm, I'm passionate and I want to push for it. Uh, we're, we're trying to work on a uh, violence prevention, prevention task force. Again, like I said before, is getting all the community members, getting solutions together, go boots on grounds, and, and trying to come up with a solution with this violence. And, I know I keep mentioning violence, but it's it's been huge, especially in this area that I represent. And I want to put a I want to put an end to it. We need peace in our community. We need unity. So um, I want to get together with the community, build the task force, start boots on ground, and start getting the work done. Stephen Figueroa, it's been a pleasure. Any last words for our listeners? Um, you know, if you're if you're passionate, if you look into something for something to do, if you want to make a difference in the community. Stay involved, be involved, come to these community events. If you see a, a young person in need of a mentor, of a leader, reach out to him because um, we need more people in the community and let's, let's continue to be united. My name is Heather Lane. I'm the art teacher at school too. How fundamental is learning the art at, in those ages? It's extremely fundamental, um, almost like a necessity. It's uh, an ability, an avenue for the students to express themselves other than verbally, um, which a lot of them, sometimes at a younger age, they struggle with. And even as they go through certain um, challenges in life, they still continue to struggle with expressions verbally or even written, with written language. So the arts give them and the opportunity to visually with pictures or you know, 3D arts, or even like with dance and music, it just gives them another form of expression. Do you feel like the arts are given the respect that it is due in the education system? I think we're working towards that. Um, I don't think that we get the respect or even the, uh, the support that we need. Um, social emotional learning is such a hot topic right now, and the arts have been providing social emotional learning for a long time for our students and now it's become way more of a necessity and I think that that's why the support and the focus is slowly starting to shift. And the arts have also been a way for you to engage with the community. I heard that you were working in the garden. Could you talk about how, could you give some examples of how the arts has brought you to the community and also your students? The arts have allowed me to work more in the community because it's kind of like an extension outside of the classroom. Um, and once you come out of the school, the expression of students seems to change. So between working in the garden with planting and making, like we did a lot of the painted rocks for outside and just the structural development of the garden, we also have done a, a mural at school too last year also. So the pride in their community outside of the building, outside of their quote unquote classroom environment, um, has definitely changed 
a lot of the students and some of the families um, feelings about art. Uh, we had some murals that are working on in the school. So just the stepping outside of the classroom makes that bridge, that connection. Um, and then they're able to meet community artists and they're able to see that people make their career in different fields of art. Just beyond painting and drawing, because there's such it's such a broader aspect that I don't think many of our community members, especially our children, are really aware of quite yet. So we're here at the Oakwood Community Center holiday event. Uh, how are you involved in this community? Okay, so Oakwood is definitely right down the street from our school. And um, we've been here four years working with creating art in the community. And now we're branching outside of school and able to work in one of the centers that a lot of my students are at after school or have just become accustomed to because it's part of their community and they have their work shown here so we've moved the art show from an area which really didn't support our community into an area that's part of our community and it seems to be quite an impact um, and it just gives them a further connection to you know how their work that they do during the day because sometimes that gets lost like how is this really how is this important mrs lane and now they're they're seeing their work out in the community and they have people who are complimenting them uh and people who are um, talking to them about their work and it gives them the ability to discuss why and how they created and just an extension of their voice and their expression and their identity do you have any wishes for the community for next year or any messages for listeners? Um, my biggest wish is that our community continues to come together in all aspects, um, connecting the pieces of home to school to community involvement because the only way that we're going to be successful in this community is for us to learn how to work together through our challenges, through our celebrations, and learn how to support one another you know from the arts to the needs of life uh, to beautifying the community uh, to learning how to just support one another from day to day so that we can grow stronger thank you so much for talking with me thank you it's my pleasure uh, that was a great event and as jacob was telling us before there is more to come we have some kitties. We have that special whole whole guest. <laughs> mm -hmm. And uh, and that is our show. And for those listening on Friday, we do have our holiday event at Freedom Square on Saturday from 3.30 to 5. And for those on Monday, we hope that you had a wonderful weekend. And I'm Cena Bazila Hickey. And I'm Jacob Boston, our engineer is a very special person. It's been a family matter today. It's my brother, Jalen Boston. Um, make sure you clap it up wherever you are. Yeah. <laughs> we want to thank all our volunteers that made today's episode possible. Shout out to Mark Dunley, Elizabeth Press, Andrea Cunliffe, Jalen once again, my brother, and yours truly, Jacob Boston. And this program covers stories of social and environmental justice produced by the community for the community and is supported by independent donations. If you value independent media, consider a gift of a monthly donation as a sanctuary sustainer by going to mediasanctuary.org. We want to hear from you. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Media Sanctuary or send us an email to hmm at mediasanctuary.org. Tune in Wednesdays at 7 a.m., 9 a.m., and 6 p.m. 
hear local news or stream Sanctuary Radio at mediasanctuary.org. Full episodes and individual stories are available on demand at our website and on your favorite podcast platform. Thank you for listening from the Boston Bros and Cena Hickey. Goodbye.